Father, we thank you for your servant, Keith, Lord God. You've, you've chosen him, Lord God, and you've anointed him, Lord God, with your word. Father, we pray that as he brings your word, Lord God, that, Lord, it will be from you, Father, and that, Lord God, it will fall, Lord God, onto fertile ground, Lord God. We pray, O oh, Father, that, Lord God, as you send your word, O oh, Father, that it will touch our hearts, Lord God. It will heal our diseases, O oh, Father. Lord God, it will give us the peace, Lord God, that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we praise you and we honor you. We pray, O oh, Father, for Keith, Lord God, as he brings your word, Lord God, that you'll protect him, Lord God. We pray, O oh, Father, that, Lord, you'll give him strength, O oh, Father, that, Lord God, he will... He'll have the courage, Lord God, to give your word as it is, Lord God. He'll not turn it down, O oh Father, but Lord God, give it as you have sent him, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kambalani. Thank you. In worship as well. It's always a joy and a privilege, isn't it, to come together and to worship our Lord and our King. Just two things um, just to highlight. Some of you may not know what Christ Central actually is. It just dawned on me as I was sitting there listening. Christ Central is, is part of New Frontiers, which we are part of as part of the, the sort of the, the group of churches that we connect with. And next Sunday, we're going to hear a little bit from Jeremy Simpkins, who is the guy who oversees those churches. He's going to, he's going to be preaching. Unfortunately, he can't be here in person, so it will be on screen. And uh, but also have an offering which will go to a lot of missions. We're going to hear from people from Zambia, folks from um, all different parts, all different nations. Um, and we're going to be able to both hear what's going on. And last year, there was an offering that's used to plant churches to support many different nations. This year, we're going to ask for folks across our group of churches to also do the, exactly the same thing this year. So you'll hear what happened to the money last year and also hear what's going to go going to be used for, for next year as well. So do come, do come pray about what you could give. Um, as part of that, we're also asking, we're just very conscious, as I mentioned, I think um, a few months back, that these are hard times and a lot of folks are going to be struggling, if not already, certainly in, in the coming months with fuel bills and a number of other issues as well. We just want to have a little pot. We've already got some money in that already. We want to have a, a pot of money that we can just be generous and be able to give to people and to, to bless them and to help them if they're going through a difficult time as well. So 50% we're going to send to missions, 50% we will use to give just to, to bless those around us, if that makes sense. I hope it does. Secondly, forgot that it was half term. Um, there's very, very few students here. We have a massive pot of um spaghetti bolognese sitting there so honestly if you haven't got, haven't prepared lunch today why not come and speak to us and if we have got enough to go around well not everybody here but a, a good chunk of you here so if you haven't already made lunch why not come why not join us for lunch this afternoon um right let's get into the bible Is that okay genesis chapter 16 and we are in verse seven picking up where we left off last week. Now, the story so far, very quickly, Sarai has been unable to get pregnant, so she takes matters into her own hands, and she tells Abram to marry her servant, Hagar. Hagar immediately gets pregnant. Cruel things are said, cruel things are done, tempers get raised, and Hagar runs away. 
Now, if you spend enough time with any group of people, at some point, you're going to encounter fights and conflict and problems. But you'll also need to remember that old saying, there are always two sides to every argument. So as we read the unfolding situation in Genesis chapter 16, I think it's fair to say that although Hagar was foolish to despise Sarah, she also did not deserve to be treated the way that she was. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, you will know that God's people, unfortunately, don't always behave in a godly way. So the big question is, how do you respond when your feelings get hurt, when, when, when something wrong happens to you? Now, human nature dictates that you're going to behave in one of two ways. Either you will stand your ground, you will dig your trenches, and you will fight. After all, we, it's so easy for us to get defensive. You know, it's not, it's not me. It's them. It's, it's not my fault. Or alternatively, just like Hagar, we run away. We disappear. We refuse to deal with the situation, and then the blame game starts. However, it's worth noting According to the Bible, that the initial cause of human conflict doesn't come from the outside or even from other people. It comes from the, the desires that battle within you and me. In James chapter 4, verse 1, we read, What is causing the quarreling and fighting among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So when you don't get what you want or you feel offended, our desires control us, and we go about asking the wrong people in the wrong way the things that only God can give. And then depending on our nature, we either become confrontational or we disappear. But do we ever think to ask God? And this seems to be what has happened between Sarah and Hagar. And sadly, if we're not careful, that atmosphere of rivalry and arguments and judgment can, can even take place right here, right now. And there is a war going on within each and every one of us. And this battle within our hearts can spill out. It can cause fights, even within church, because ultimately the root cause of every fight, either internally or externally, is rebellion against God. Now, at the beginning of this world, God created everything perfectly, without sin, without conflict. And when sin entered into this world, it brought in a, a lawlessness. And lawlessness is rebellion against God. The truth is that we always have got a choice to make. In fact, it's the same sort of choice that Elijah led down before the Israelites on Mount Carmel. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, he asks, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the choice that you constantly face will come to you in many different ways, whether it be the attractions of this world that can that, that sort of wanting to win our friendship or the devil who we must resist. Both can feed and fuel selfish passions and pleasures within us. But no matter what form they come in, the battle is still the same. And we still have to make the choice. The choice is either for or against God. 
and it's impossible to do both. And you need to stop trying to have one foot in both camps. God must come first. And you must deal with the battle that's going on within. In Galatians chapter 5, 17, it says, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite to what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But very often, just like so many people before us, we try to cover our selfish pride by by pretending to be spiritual. We ignore the battle that's going on within us. We try to forget about that. And, And listen, if there is a war going on on the inside, there's going to be a war on the outside. And many a relationship problem could be solved if only people would look into their own hearts and see and deal with the battle raging within. And listen, God has created us to to live in unity, one with the other. But if we have no love for God, and if we only care about ourselves, it should be no surprise to us that it's going to cause disunity all around us. Now, of course, I know relationships are not easy, but, but if, if we're looking for some magic, something that will change the situation or circumstance, whether it be in our work or even home or maybe even in a church setting, I want to tell you there are no silver bullets. And actually, we don't really believe in magic. So the problem all along is actually the problem of our own hearts. So what are we going to do about it? Well, at this point, you could be forgiven for thinking, you know, I just need to pull my socks up. I just need to try a little bit harder. I need to improve my attitude. Maybe I just shame myself into doing things a little bit better. But listen, that's not how God deals with Hagar. And praise God, it's not how he deals with us either. Let's read. Verse 7, Genesis chapter 16. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all of his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, 
Have I truly seen the gods, truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Berlaharo, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kedesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Now, it'd be very easy to read chapters in Genesis and, and think that, that, that God's mercy only focuses on Abram. And I'm pretty sure that that must have been going through Hagar's mind as well. But listen, it could not have been further from the truth. And even though she's in a place of, of desperation, of distress, in the wilderness, running away from the people of God, angry and feeling just hard done by, most likely heading off towards Egypt. But this was the moment that God chose to speak to her. And did you notice that God found Hagar? The angel of the Lord came looking for her, not the other way around. He sought her out. And what is interesting is that the angel in verse 10 promises to do what only God can do. And then in verse 13, Hagar calls the angel God. This messenger, this angel of the Lord speaks not only for God, but as God. And it raises one rather big question. Who is he? He is called God. He is seen and worshipped. He has the attributes of God. And the, the, the most likely conclusion that he is none other than, than Jesus himself. Now, most biblical scholars believe that Old Testament encounters like this are, are actually a, a pre-incarnation visit by Jesus Christ. And Jesus appears, he's seen, and he's heard in this moment. In fact, just two chapters later, in Genesis chapter 18, this time Abram is visited by an angel of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 32, we read how Jacob encounters and actually wrestles with God, it says. And when Old Testament encounters like this occur, they are they're always when someone is in special need or when a special task needs to be accomplished. But listen, what is, what is truly amazing is that the Son of God would leave heaven, would take on a temporary body, would come down to help a rejected slave girl. In her moment of greatest need, she discovers God's grace and God's love, and she realizes that the Lord has not deserted her. In the middle of her conflict, he, he, he doesn't ask her just to pull herself together or try a little bit harder. Instead, he finds her and he pours out his love and his grace. You get that? He shows her incredible grace and just a, an abundance of mercy. This is both amazing, but also how encouraging. Listen, in the middle of the most challenging situations, even in your rebellion, God abundantly pours out his love and his grace. And, and listen, we're not just saved by grace, but we're also, it also changes the way in which we live as Christians because becoming more Christ-like is all and only as a result of God's grace. It's got nothing to do with our own merit. Our good deeds, the Bible says, are actually a bit like dirty rags, if not worse. 
grace says that all the good that we do, our Christian rule keeping, our do's, our don'ts, they don't make one pick of difference. God's grace is not dependent on anything that you do. Jerry Bridges gives a wonderful illustration of this, of God's grace in this book called Transforming Grace. If you haven't read it, do get it. Very good. He says, if you think that you need to do something to earn God's grace or God's love, it's like comparing two people attempting to jump across the Grand Canyon. Now, the Grand Canyon is nine miles from one rim to the next. The world record holder for the long jump is 8.95 meters. Now, I'm pretty sure, just looking around, that none of us are going to beat that this morning. Most of us, not even going to get close. But actually, does it matter anything anyway? Because, listen, whether you are the world record holder or whether you can barely take a step, any attempt to try and jump across the Grand Canyon, we are all going to end up in exactly the same place. It's going to be painful. Relative to nine miles, any attempt would be absolutely worthless. But God has made a way. And he has built a bridge across the Grand Canyon of our sin. And he doesn't stop with eight meters to spare so all the good people can make that final leap. No, he built it all the way across. And on the side of that bridge, he wrote the words, My grace is enough. And grace is not God making up the difference in your life. He did it all. And we, we are desperately dependent on him. And listen, the cross on which Jesus Christ has died is proof that there is no length to which God would not go to rescue and to win a person's heart. In Jesus, there we see the full revelation of God and nothing more is necessary. He is worthy of all our thanks and all our praise for such incredible love. And here, in this little in Genesis chapter 16, we get just a little glimpse of this in the way in which he deals with a runaway slave girl. And God is calling us to a serious, to a grace-reliant humility today. And we must never lose sight of this. All that you have received from God is a gift. He seeks you out. He calls you. He has chosen you. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. From the moment the Holy Spirit began to work within your life and convicted you of sin, from that first time that you met Jesus, you in your encounter with Jesus was because he drew you. He called you. He found you. He knew you before this world began. Jesus graciously comes to you even though you don't deserve his presence. He meets you despite your sin. He pours out his spirit and he equips you, not because you have earned it, but because of his grace and because of his love. And you may feel worthless. You may feel that you can identify with Hagar all too easily. You may feel alone in this world with nothing to offer. You may even just feel like running away. But listen, there is hope in 
Jesus. Because it's not about you or what you have done or what you will do. It's about what Jesus has done for you on the cross and what his spirit can do through you. Not only do we see God's grace, God's love, God's mercy towards Hagar. Secondly, we see how God speaks to Hagar. And God questions Hagar to confront her with her situation. This is how God addresses her. Not as the wife of Sarah, but as the servant of, sorry, not as the wife of Abram, get it right way around, the wife of Abram, but as the servant of Sarai, verse 8. And he gently challenges her pride and her arrogance. Now, we don't understand why God in his sovereignty will place us in difficult situations. However, we are called to obey and to be content in each and every circumstance. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And then he tells us how that's even possible. He says, because I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Hagar is to abandon her own plans. She's returned to Sarah. She's to submit to her, verse 9. And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly sure it's the last thing that Hagar really wants to hear. After all, Sarah has mistreated her in the past, and she could well do it again. So this is going to take a great deal of faith. But she also knows that despite her rebellion, despite her attempts to run away, God has heard and God has answered her cry. God has found her. God has listened to her. And now he is asking her to listen to him. And, and, and sometimes we can be very selective in the way in which we listen. Now, I am definitely guilty of this. You just need to ask Rachel first got married, I would sometimes go down to the shops to do the supermarket shopping. And as I'm walking out the door, very often she would sort of shout after me, oh, Keith, can you remember to bring some butter and some tea and some yogurt? Just, just put it on the list. However, as I'm walking out the door, all I'm listening to is myself. I'm thinking, I want the world park. Be nice and close to the door. And, and what bar of chocolate will I buy for myself today? And I'm driving down the road and I'm thinking, what did she say? Some of it butter, that's fine. So I do the shopping, I come back home again, and I walk in through the door, and she says, where's the butter, where's the yogurts, where's the tea? And I said, oh, I'm really sorry, I forgot about the butter, but you didn't mention anything else. And then she asks the question, were you not listening? Now, guys, you do not answer that question. That is a trick question. Nobody wins. Nobody wins if you answer that question. You have only one option this moment. You reach into the shopping bag and that bar of chocolate you bought for yourself, you pull it out and you say, but look dear, look what I got for you. You know, I wonder how well do you listen to God when he speaks to you through his word? I've got to admit, it's not easy. However, when you time to listen and to obey him, he will reveal his will to you. As you spend time in God's presence, as you spend time in his word, the Holy Spirit will, will speak to you. 
And the primary way in which God speaks, of course, is through the scriptures. But his spirit can also bring ideas to our minds and can direct and can guide can guide us. He can speak prophetically through others. But one thing is always for sure that they will never contradict what the scriptures say. So as you create space in your busy days to listen, to wait, God will direct your ways. For Hagar, God's voice is very clear, but also very challenging. She has to go back. But there's also a surprising blessing she is given a wonderful promise in verse 10, which, which partially parallels with the one that was given to Abram in the previous chapter about being a great nation. And her child is named by God himself in words that sort of seem to parallel those of the angel Gabriel to Mary 2000. He will be called Ishmael, which means God hears a promise that just reflects God's attentiveness to Hagar. Well, Ishmael may not be Abram's heir in the blessing of the covenant. Ishmael, despite the fact that he is going to be a wild and hostile man, not a guy you might want to hang around too long, he would still enjoy the blessing from God because he was Abram's son. And God promises to multiply his descendants to make them into a great nation and he did for Ishmael of course as we know is the founder of the Arab peoples and thirdly God reveals himself to Hagar Hagar's relationship with God has progressed God has heard her and she has listened to him so she calls him, you are the God who sees me, verse 13. And Hagar's wilderness experience brought her face, face with God at the well. And he told her some important truths about himself. She learned that he is the living God who sees us and hears our cries when we are hurt. He is a personal God who who's concerned about abused people and un unborn babies. He knows the future and he cares for those who will trust in him. And you need to know that he is the God that sees you. And God is jealous that you would spend time with him. And don't underestimate the enormity of that. God wants you to spend time with him. And by faith, you have privilege of access to the Lord God Almighty, the God who can make anything happen. He can heal. He can solve any problem. He can change situations. He can open doors. He can cause everything that has happened to you in the past, good or bad, right or wrong, work together for good. That is what God does. And prayer and time in his presence gives you access to this God. In fact, he loves you as much as he loved Hagar, Abraham, even Jesus. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And you, through spending time in his word and prayer, have access to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. So never underestimate it. Never think that it's true for other people, but it's not true for me. 
No one is more important to God than you. That's what Hagar learned in the wilderness. And what we need to understand as well. For he is the God who sees you. And then finally, Hagar did what God said. This story finishes with Hagar obeying God, returning home, submitting herself to Sarah. And we can only assume she must have apologized for being arrogant, for despising her mistress, for running away. So humbly, she trusted God to protect her and to protect her son, to care for them in the years to come. And that the reality is that, that life's, life's problems are never solved by running away. Instead, you need to submit to God to do what he says and trust in him to work things out for your good, ultimately for, for his glory. And Hagar's story has a happy ending, although not one that our modern minds find easy to accept. As she once again becomes a slave and returns to well, a difficult situation. So how do we apply this? How do we live peaceful lives tomorrow in work, at home, at school? How do we resist the enemies of the world of self, of Satan? And you know as well as I know that even though Christ has delivered us from sin and the victory has been won at the cross, there are still times when we come under attack both from within and from the outside. So how do we remain at peace in times of conflict or uncertainty or just look around at the world, as we've already heard this morning? How do we do it? First thing, and quickly, is this. Submit to God. Follow him. If there are areas in your life that are just not given over to God, there is going to be a battle. If you are uncommitted to God, you will not be at peace with yourself or with God unless you surrender your life completely to him. And you must make sure that Satan doesn't even have a foothold within your life. If you give him an opportunity, he will fight against God. So don't even give him a foothold. Submit to God, resist the enemy. But the biggest, the biggest opening to Satan is hidden sin within our lives. When King David committed adultery and then killed her husband, he kept it hidden for about a year, but there was war between him and God. And when he finally submits to God, when he repents of his sin, David receives joy and, and peace. And so can you. Submission is a choice. But it only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. It comes when you say to God, I want what you want. Your will be done, not mine. By his grace, he promises his peace to those who submit to him. Secondly, draw near to God. A.W. Tozer wrote an essay called Nearness is Likeness. And it he says that the, the more we are like God, the nearer we are to God. And, and God graciously draws near to you when you deal with the sin within your life. And God will not share you with anyone or anything else. God must have complete control. 
Yet he promises you a great hope and grace beyond measure. But you do have a responsibility to come near to God by confessing, by repenting of your sin, by asking his forgiveness, asking for his cleansing. And then thirdly, humble yourself before God. It's very possible to submit yourself, yet refuse to humble yourself. And God hates the sin of pride. Pride is just a stubborn enemy of God. In Psalm 51, 17, it says, The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. But praying, Lord, humble me, is a dangerous prayer to pray. Far better if you humble yourself before the Lord. Confess your sins, weep over them, and turn from them. Listen, when we are weak, we know God's strength. And when we know God's strength, we worship. And when we worship, the people around us take notice. And listen, atmospheres change. If you submit, if you draw near, if you humble yourself before God, you will not be at war with God. And then you will not be at war with yourself, which will mean you will not be at war with others. And you will live in peace. The effect, as I says in 32 verse 17, will be quietness and confidence forever. A mature and a growing Christian is someone who is saved by the grace of God and is satisfied in nothing else but God, who loves the Lord their God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength, and who loves their neighbor as they love themselves. Draw near to Christ in humble submission to him. Can we stand together? We're going to pray. Lord, we, we just acknowledge once again, Lord, our, our need of you. The wonder of your grace, the miracle of salvation. And Lord, just all that you've done for us in, your, in, in our lives. And Lord, we pray, Lord God, that we would truly know what it is to come and give you the authority that you deserve to submit ourselves before you, to honor you in every area of our lives. And Lord, I just pray now, Lord God, if, there, if your Holy Spirit just moves among us, Lord, I pray, Lord, you, we would, Lord, give you permission to challenge our hearts. Lord, where there are stuff that we are holding back, where we're clinging on to, Lord, maybe even resentments that we just don't want to let go of, Father, we pray that, Lord, you'd reveal those. And then, Lord God, as we confess those, Lord God, we would receive your forgiveness, your cleansing, your strength today. So, Lord, come, Holy Spirit.
Come and move among us. Just in the moments of quietness, you may want to just, 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 just within yourself, just talk to God. God can hear you, even as you just ponder stuff in your minds. Just take a moment just to do business with him. Those areas that just need to be set back under his authority. Perhaps relationships that just have been really tense. A few weeks, maybe months, maybe, maybe much longer. Bring them before him now. Ask for his healing. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who speaks and a God who works within our lives. So Holy Spirit, just keep moving, just keep working among us, Lord God, over these next few hours, over the next few days, Lord God, that you would get the glory Lord, that you would get the honor, Lord, in our workplaces tomorrow, in our universities, in our schools, Lord Jesus, that you would, you would get the honor by the way in which we conduct our lives before you. Amen.